0: Today, we're going to talk a little bit more about the stars. Uh, This will be the third part that I've discussed in relation to the stars as they pertain to the heavenly calendar. And if you've not heard any of the previous two messages, I've got one up on my website now. And I'll have the other one up on there really, really soon that I taught last Sabbath. And this one will correlate with part two. Today, I want to talk about something called the ecliptic That's a word that I mentioned briefly, last service. And I want to also talk a little bit more about the zodiac as well. For those of you that were not here, zodiac seems like a bad word because we've been taught that it's a heathen thing. But the word zodiac stems from an ancient Arabic word most likely that has to do with the way or the path of the sun through the various stellar constellations in the heavens. Okay. That's what the zodiac has to do, and the ecliptic is what that path is called in science. Job 38, 31 through 32. I'm going to have the scriptures up on the screen here. Job 38 says this, beginning at verse 31. Can you fasten the chains of the Pleiades or loosen the belt of Orion? Can you bring out the constellations in their season and leave the beer and her cubs? All of these here, the Pleiades, Orion, and the beer and her cubs, we discussed in great detail on Sabbath. They're all constellations in the sky, star formations. And Job 38 is so unique because this is Almighty Yahweh speaking to Job. And he is telling Job about these constellations. He mentions three here, but there's many other ones that Yahweh created. Man has tried to manipulate them, distort them, and make them useful for things of like fortune telling and witchcraft, things like that but we know that there is still a purity in their original form. The point I want to center in on today is this highlighted portion in yellow where it says, can you bring out the constellations in their season? There's a reason that Yahweh asked Job that. And that's because the various signs of the zodiac are linked with the seasons of the year, with a certain times of the year. In his book, The Witness of the Stars, Mr. E.W. Bullinger, a man that grew up in England and went to the Church of England, a very intelligent scholar, he wrote the notes in the Companion Bible. He stated this in his book, quote, To an observer on the earth, the whole firmament, together with the sun, appears to revolve in a circle once in 24 hours. And that's one complete day. He goes on to say this, but the time occupied by the stars in going round differs from the time occupied by the sun. This difference amounts to about one twelfth part of the whole circle in each month. So that when the circle of the heavens is divided up into twelve parts, the sun appears to move each month through one of them. This path which the sun thus makes amongst the stars is called the ecliptic. We'll give a definition of the word ecliptic from the American Heritage Science Dictionary, the 2002 edition, the latest edition of this dictionary. It defines the word ecliptic as this, the great circle on the celestial sphere that represents the sun's apparent path among the background stars in one year. That's the end of that quote. Now we're going to see over these next couple of charts here that there's some people that believe in what's called the apparent path of the sun. And there's some people that believe in what's called the actual path of the sun. And that depends greatly upon whether you believe that the universe is sun-centered or earth-centered. Sun-centered, the technical term for sun-centered is heliocentricity. Okay, people that believe in what's called heliocentricity believe that the sun, helio being a Latin term for sun, is the center of the universe. But you also have something that's not as widely known. Anciently, a lot of people believed in it. Not so much nowadays. But it's called geocentricity. Geo being the Latin word for, for Earth. And centricity obviously is center. So these people believe that the Earth is the center of the universe. I would probably lean towards the geocentric model rather than the heliocentric model. Either way that you slice it though, the same things are happening in the heavens depending on, uh, no matter whether you think one body is moving or the other one is moving. So this next chart is going to show the heliocentric model, okay? What we have here, if you notice this, what we have right in the middle, heliocentric, we have the sun, okay? Then right here, the heliocentrists believe that the earth moves around here, okay? moves around the sun, and the sun is fixed. So therefore, every time the earth moves in its orbit, the sun appears like it's in a different location. That's why they call it the apparent motion of the sun when they're giving the definition for ecliptic. But if you'll notice right here, according to the heliocentric model, when the earth is at this point in its orbit, when you see the sun rise, the sun is going to rise in this particular constellation, or at least it did at the time of the Messiah in the first century A.D., and this constellation is known by the name of Ares. Ares is the Latin word for ram. And it's interesting that during the time of our Messiah, and even during the month in which he was crucified, he being the, the ram, he being the Passover lamb. It's interesting that when you study that, that out, that first month on the biblical calendar took place while the sun was in the constellation of the ram. And I think there's some spiritual significance to that. As the earth, according to this model, continues to move, it gets to point B. And then you see the sun rise in the constellation of Taurus, which is the Latin word for the bull. We talked about that in the last sermon. Each one of these constellations are about 30 degrees in length, roughly, approximately 30 days in length. And if we count them, there's... Twelve in all. And I think that there's a reason that Yahweh created or made twelve signs in the path of the sun. Twelve signs of the zodiac. Now, the reason I use the heliocentric model first is because the geocentric model is going to be a little bit more difficult for me to try to explain. So I'm not going to try to explain it. (laughs) But you can look it up on the internet and you'll find it fascinating. I do have a picture of it. This next is the geocentric model. This right in the middle is the earth as the center of the universe, and it's fixed. Down here, if you see these colored squares or rectangles, that's representing the zodiac. And then these right here represent different planets. This right here is Solus. That's the path of the sun. So basically what it is, it's an earth-centered system. All right? Ptolemy believed in geocentricity. Most scientists today believe in heliocentricity. That's another message for another time. Uh, this next chart. is going to be really hard to see. I had a really cool video. That was supposed to move. When I put it on this chart. Brother Tim. But for some reason. It's not wanting to move for me. I got over here early. And tried it. And I was very upset. That it didn't move. So I don't know if you can see this. But that little light right there. That's the sun. And this video was an actual. Uh, I wouldn't say actual. But a, a remake. Of what the sun looks like. When it goes along the ecliptic and you see these constellations here there's Gemini the twins cancer Leo Virgo Libra autumnal equinox right there and what in the video it would show the sun moving along the ecliptic it's a it's an awesome video and I can email it to um, anyone that would like to see it basically put what we have in these charts is we have either an apparent path of the Sun or an actual path of the Sun e- e- ever how you, you want to define it But we have the sun rising in different constellations throughout the year. And because there's 12 signs of the zodiac, or 12 constellations, 12 major constellations, and because they are approximately or a little bit over 30 days in length, we know that they fit right into the solar year. We know that on Yahweh's calendar we can turn a lunar year of about 354 days, and then a solar year of about 365 and one quarter days. But these signs of the zodiac fit right into the solar year. We know that 12 times 30 is 360. And they're a little bit over 30 days apiece in length. Alright? Now, let me quote a passage next that we all are very familiar with. Let me just remind you of it. Genesis one fourteen through 16. It says, Then God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night. They will serve as signs for festivals and for days and years. They will be lights in the expanse of the sky to provide light on the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to have dominion over the day and the lesser light to have dominion over the night. We know from Psalm 136 and Jeremiah 31 and the book of Amos, that those two great lights are the sun and the moon. The sun has the dominion over the day, the moon, the dominion over the night, and then a part that kind of gets put as a little appendage at the end sometimes, but I don't think it should. He says, as well as the stars. So the stars actually, with the moon, have dominion over the night. If you look at Psalm 136 and Jeremiah 31, that was in part one of this series of of sermons. I just want to remind you of this passage because it says that the lights in the heavens serve as signs for festivals, or the King James says signs and seasons. Then it goes on to say days and years. And the Aramaic targum of this text is even more specific. Basically put, what we have in the heavens is Yahweh's calendar. You know, in any, any calendar calculation or calendar computation that is not based upon Yahweh's calendar in the heavens is bogus. I mean, it really is. It's just, it really cannot be right. You know, the, the stuff that we've got going nowadays with the Gregorian calendar that we use for commercial purposes so that when I'm talking with a customer about coming out to their house, I tell them I'll be out there on Tuesday. Because if I tell them I'm going to be out there on the month of Abib and the uh, second work day of the first week in that lunar month, you know, they're going to forget everything I just explained to them about their safety tank and, and uh, wondering what in the world is this fella, you know. What kind of cult does he belong to? But this is what the Bible actually says. It's, it's sometimes it's difficult to get people to believe what the Bible says. It's easy to get them to believe what the Bible doesn't say. You know, I can make my voice sound very dramatic and get your emotions stirred up and and tell you something that's not in the Bible, and you know what? You're more apt to believe it, or most people, I'm not saying you guys, but most people are more apt to believe it than if you just read Genesis one fourteen through 16. You know? So this is an excellent text right here that teaches that the stars had to do with Yahweh's calendar. We're going to begin to see that tonight. I'm telling you, some of this stuff, is, it blew my mind away, and I hope that it does yours as well in a good way, you know, not in a bad way. But I hope that you Have some light bulbs turn on tonight up there. As I like to say, all the squirrels start running at the same pace. Genesis 37, 9 through 11. Listen to this. This is beautiful. It says, Then he, speaking of Joseph, had another dream and told it to his brothers. Look, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. Now, how many remember his first dream was about the sheaves of of wheat? Wasn't it wheat? And he saw all those sheaves that were tied, those bundles of wheat bowing down to him. Well, then he goes and he tells his brothers, look, I've had another dream. And this time it wasn't sheaves of wheat. This time it was the sun, S-U-N, the moon, M-O-O-N, and the 11 stars bowing down to me. And I think it's significant that he mentions 11 stars here. I think that it is. I don't think it's arbitrary. I don't think it's happenstance. I think it's significant. He told his father and brothers, but his father rebuked him. What kind of dream is this that you have had, he said. Notice how his father interprets the dream. Who who is Joseph's father? Jacob. Jacob Israel is Joseph's father. Righteous man, right? Used by Yahweh. The father of the tribes of Israel. Yahweh's chosen remnant of people here. Okay? Righteous man. Jacob Israel. He interprets this dream like this. He says, are your mother... And brothers and I going to bow down to, to the ground before you. His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. So even though his father rebuked him, he still kept the matter in mind. He still took heed to the dream or the dreams that Joseph was having. So Joseph saw the sun and the moon and not just any amount of stars, but 11 bow down to him. His father says, are your mother and brothers and I going to bow down to you? In the book of Genesis where we just read, chapter 1, verses 14 through 16, it says that the greater light has dominion over the day. That light is the sun, the S-U-N, sun. We know based upon the scriptural texts that the leader, the priest of the home, the one that is supposed to guide the home, set the example for his wife and children is who? The man, the husband, right? he's supposed to rule his children and his wife well in love and compassion and kindness and most importantly by example he's to be a good example how does he expect his wife to serve Yahweh and his children if he's not doing it himself right so i think that what jacob israel here meant was that the son represented him when he said am i going to bow down to you he interpreted when he saw that when joseph saw the son bowing down He interpreted that as himself. And then he said, The moon, which is still a great light. Remember, Yahweh made two great lights, didn't he? But he said, The greater of the two has dominion over the day, and the lesser of the two has dominion over the night. And I think that what Jacob Israel was saying here was that the moon represented the mother, the female. And then notice he says, Brothers. And how many brothers did Joseph have? He had eleven brothers. And I think that these 11 stars represented his 11 brothers, but when you take 11 stars or 11 brothers and you add Joseph to them, how many do you have? You have 12 brothers and you have how many stars? You have 12 stars. That's significant. We just covered that there's 12 stellar zodiac signs. There's 12 constellations in the sky that the sun, the S-U-N, moves through throughout the course of 365 days. I think that's very significant. I've got right here, 11 stars plus Joseph equals 12 stars or 12 signs of the Zodiac. That's how I understand that passage. Evidently, Adam Clark understood it this way too. In his commentary on Genesis 37 verse 9, he says this, Why 11 stars? Was it merely to signify that his brothers might be represented by stars? Or does he not rather there allude to the Zodiac, the way or the path, his eleven brethren answering to eleven of the celestial signs and himself to the twelve. This is certainly not an unnatural thought as it is very likely that the heavens were thus measured in the days of Joseph. For the zodiacal constellations have been distinguished among the eastern nations from time immemorial. And we learned in the last message that at least Flavius Josephus, a first century AD Judahite historian, believed that astronomy and geometry originated with the Sethites, the sons of Seth, the child that Yahweh gave Adam and Eve after Cain and Abel. So Adam Clark, a commentator from the late 1800s, agreed with the interpretation that I gave on that scripture. It doesn't make it right, but that's some food for thought. I think that that's the best interpretation of Joseph's dream. The number 12 in scripture is very significant. Brother Tim mentioned this in one of his sermons when he talked about the Israelites and their history. For instance, in Scripture we have 12 sons of Jacob, Israel, known as also the 12 tribes of Israel. We have 12 disciples in Scripture, right? 12 immediate disciples there of our Master and Savior. We have about 12 months in the year. Sometimes I would say that there are 13 months in the year, and there is a significance to the number 13 in the Bible too, but this message is not about the number thirteen. Most of the time we have 12 months in the year. 13 is not an unlucky number. You know, that's a bunch of heathenistic pagan superstition. It's actually a biblical number and there's significance to it. Not only do you sometimes, I'm getting off on a rabbit trail here, but it's okay, right? We can hunt after that rabbit. We won't eat him when we catch him. Sometimes sometimes you have 12 months in the year, but sometimes you have 13 months in the year, right? Did you know that, You can number the tribes of Israel as 12, but did you know you can also number the tribes of Israel as 13? Joseph's two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. Did you know that you can number the disciples as 12, but did you know that you can also number the disciples as 13? Paul, one born out of due season. See, there's a significance to also the 13 and not just the 12. People miss that sometimes. There's 12 stones in the breastplate of the high priest. The high priest in Israel, Aaron was the first one. He wore a breastplate when he ministered, and there were 12 stones in that breastplate. You know what they represented? The 12 tribes of Israel. And they also, I believe I'll show you, they represent the 12 signs of the Zodiac. There were 12 slices of bread in the showbread, or the bread of the presence. The bread of the presence was a hot loaf that was put out on the Sabbath, and also on the, on the new moons, at least we know in Exodus 40, it was first put out on the new moon for sure. But you know that that bread was made into 12 slices? And it actually, according to Philo, consisted of two rows apiece and six slices in each row. And there's a reason that Philo says it was like that. There were 12 gates, or there will be 12 gates in the New Jerusalem. And there will be 12 foundations of the New Jerusalem. And on those 12 foundations will be written the 12 names of the apostles of the Messiah. This is in the book of Revelation, chapter 21. You can read about it. And then as we've seen, there's 12 signs of the Zodiac. That's not a coincidence. It's not. Yahweh created those signs. And there's a reason why he created them to be 12 in number. Actually, I was watching a video put out by the History Channel about a week or so ago. And they said that there is a way to number the Zodiac where you would actually have 13 signs. I find that very significant when we went over the number 13 too, but the majority of the time you have 12. I want to give you some quotes from Philo now. Philo was another Judahite historian. He was born before the time of the Messiah, but he lived during the time of the Messiah, and he also lived after the time of the Messiah. Philo was from the tribe of Levi, and he lived in a place called Alexandria, Egypt. That was where a lot of Judahites of the Diaspora or the Dispersion lived at that time. They use the Greek Septuagint Bible. That's the Greek Old Testament. Okay? That's the oldest complete Old Testament that we have in existence is the Greek Septuagint. Philo writes in his book, Question and Answers on Exodus, page 125, he writes this. At each season of the year, the sun completes its course through three zodiacal signs which he is called mixing bowls, since three powers distinct and separate from one another undergo a unified mixing to make up the time of one year. For example, and Philo is speaking of in his day, the spring consists of Aries, Taurus, Gemini. And again, in the summer we have Cancer, Leo, Virgo. And in the autumn, Libra, Scorpio, Sagittarius. And in the winter, Capricorn, Aquarius, Pisces. Now, I actually have this book right here on computer. And I don't only have it in English, but I have an interlinear version of Philo in this book. Where that you can read the Greek on one side and English on the other side. And you can actually, even though I don't speak Greek, I do study it some, you can actually make out these names in the Greek portion of where Philo actually wrote this down. Of course, all we have is manuscripts. It's just like the Bible. We have manuscripts, copies of copies. Okay, But here Philo speaks of the zodiacal signs and even speaks of them by name. And he says that in each season of the year, and he names the seasons spring, summer, autumn, or fall, and then winter, he says the sun completes its course through three zodiacal signs. Remember when we talked about the two models, the heliocentric and the geocentric? The sun is completing its course during the spring season through three of those signs. Then the summer season through another three, so forth and so on. That's what Philo is saying here. Another text from the book of Philo. This is in his writing called On the Life of Moses, Part 2, Parentheses 124. This is what he says. He says, Then the twelve stones on the breast, which are not like one another in color, and which are divided into four rows of three stones in each, what else can they be emblems of except of the circle of the zodiac? For that also is divided into four parts, each consisting of three animals, by which divisions it makes up the seasons of the year, spring, summer, autumn, and winter. Distinguishing the four changes, the two solstices, And the two equinoxes, each of which has its limit of three signs of this zodiac by the revolutions of the sun, according to that unchangeable and most lasting and really divine ratio which exists in numbers. Here, basically, Philo is saying the same thing, but he's saying it in a little bit different way, and he's adding a little bit more to it. Not only this time does he speak of the four seasons and the three signs of the zodiac in each season, Now he speaks of the twelve stones on the breastplate. He mentions the twelve stones on the breast. And he mentions that this breastplate was divided into four rows and three stones in each row. Are you getting the correlation here? Four seasons, three zodiacal signs in each season. Four times three is what? Four times three is twelve, right? See, it all comes together. Also here, this is from F.H. Colson's translation of the book of Philo. This is from the Special Laws 1, 16, parentheses 87. It says this. Then on the breast, there are twelve precious stones of different colors, arranged in four rows of three each, set in this form on the model of the zodiac. For the zodiac, consisting of twelve signs, makes the four seasons of the year by giving three signs to each, Basically, once again, he's saying the same thing. Uh, I won't repeat myself. That's self-explanatory. This next chart, what we have here, is not an actual picture of the breastplate. I couldn't find an actual picture because they didn't have cameras back then. But this, this might have been what, what it may have looked like. This is just an artist's drawing. And some of the Hebrew names for the colors are disputed by scholars. And so the colors don't line up with what we're going to read here in Exodus 28. But this just kind of gives you an idea of what the breastplate of the priest might have looked like, okay? And we're going to read Exodus 28, verse beginning at verse 17. This is Yahweh speaking to Moses, and He's telling them how to fashion all these articles in the tabernacle. One of them, He tells, uh, one of the articles that He tells Moses to fashion is the breastplate, and He says this: He says, "Place a setting of gemstones on it." Four rows of stones. The first row should be a row of carnelian, topaz, and emerald. How many stones is in the first row? Three. How many signs of the Zodiac did Philo say were in the first season? Three. See how it all correlates? Philo was putting this together 2,000 years ago in a time where they had a lot better understanding of the Scriptures than we have now 2,000 years replaced from that time frame. The second row, a turquoise, a sapphire, and a diamond. Three again. The third row, adjacent, and a gate, and an amethyst. And the fourth row, a beryl, an onyx, and a jasper. Moving on down, he says, The twelve stones are to correspond to the names of Israel's sons. Each stone must be engraved like a seal with one of the names of the twelve tribes. So now we see not only were there twelve stones, Four rows, three stones apiece correlating with the zodiac, the signs and the seasons and all that. But we see that there was a name of a tribe written on each one of these different colored stones. Now, a a good bit of people know about that. But what's less known is that the priest also, me and my children were studying about this not too long ago. The priest also wore two stones, one on each of his shoulders right here. One stone here. And one stone here. And there was writing on those two stones. On one of those stones was written six of the tribes of Israel. And on another stone was written another six of the tribes of Israel. And you can read about this in Exodus 28. And Philo says this represents the year divided into two parts. You can talk, you can uh, read that in other places of Philo. I'll get into that at a later time. You always will. So, let's recap here. Scripture depicts 12 sons of Jacob, Israel, as 12 stars. That's from Genesis, what was it, 39, 7 through 11, somewhere around in there. Remember the dream that Joseph had? I think that's the best way to interpret it. The father represents the sun. The mother represents the moon. And the 11 brothers plus Joseph represents the 12 stars of the 12 signs there. Point number two, there are 12 signs in the Zodiac. Point number three, there were 12 stones on the breastplate of the high priest that had the names of the 12 tribes written in them. Point number four, these stones were placed in four rows with three stones in each row. And point number five, Philo parallels this with four seasons of the year, 12 months consisting of three zodiac signs in each season. Now this ought to show us that there is a way And it's a lot more simple than you might think right now. Believe you me. You know, I started looking at some of this stuff two or three years ago. And I kind of just said, you know what? Let's put this on the shelf. Because, you know, it was like, as they say, it's like Greek to me, Brother Tim. And I picked it up again. And Yahweh's given me a better understanding. And that's because, you know, the, the closer you get to Yahweh, you know, He gives you a better understanding of things. He does. The scripture says a good understanding have all they that keep his commandments. And if you want more wisdom, you know, the scripture first it tells you you need to ask for it. Pray for wisdom. Ask Yahweh to give you wisdom. But another thing you need to do is draw closer to him in those areas that you know to draw close in. Those things you know to do, do everything that you know to do. Yahweh will bless you in his time with the wisdom that he wants to give you. Alright? And this this whole study about the zodiac and the stars and all that, it seems difficult. It seems Uh, When you get into it, it seems uh, hard to understand. And we know that some things in the Scriptures are hard to understand, but they're not impossible to understand. We can understand them. There is a way that you can watch the sun's path through the sky when it sets, as night or as evening comes on. And you can look at the stars and you can tell, depending on where the sun set, you can tell what season and time of the year, the biblical year, that you're in by noticing what constellation the sun is at at that time. And it's actually very, very simple to do. It's not hard at all. I'll get to that at at another time. So I want to close with this passage right here in Psalm 19, 1 through 2. Let's remember that it says this, The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour out speech and night after night, they communicate knowledge. And hopefully after this message, you've seen some of that knowledge that night after night, Yahweh is communicating to us. You say, Brother Matthew, I've never heard a preacher talk about something like this. Well, you don't have to take my word for anything. Matter of fact, you shouldn't. You should go back and be a good marine and study these things out yourself. But you know what? I told somebody the other day. They asked me a question about the Bible and I gave them a biblical answer. And it was probably different than the answer that they would give from any other preacher, but I said, I'm not your average preacher and by Yahweh's grace and mercy I don't want to ever be your average preacher right We want to stay true to Yahweh's word at all costs no matter where it takes us and if that means that we have to study something called the zodiac and get it out of our minds that that's a curse word because it's not then so be it so let it be so I don't think I'll talk about this next week. I'm going to move on to something else. But I do have more to say as it pertains to this subject at a later time. So let's stand and close in the word of the prayer. Heavenly Father, I love you and I thank you and I praise you. You're wonderful. You're great. Father, I pray that that which is biblical that we have talked about tonight, the scriptural aspects of this message, I pray that you would ingrain them in the hearts and the minds of these people here today, including myself. Father, always sometimes it seems like we go through a sermon or a teaching, and it seems like it's just a whirlwind. But then we go back and we hear it a second time, and a third, and a fourth, and then it begins to just get unfoggy. And Father, I pray that this would only be a beginning point on this subject for these people here. They they would build upon this, and they would find more to add to it. And Father, likewise with myself, I pray you just continue to bless me with with knowledge. And, uh, Father Yahweh, I, I pray that with all the knowledge that you give us as your children, that we still make sure that we remain humble, Father Yahweh. Because you said we're supposed to humble ourselves in your sight and let you lift us up in your time. So, Father Yahweh, I pray above all things, Father, that we would just be granted humility. And I remember that we are absolutely zero without you. So, uh, Yahweh, we thank you and we pray Pray to You, Father, through Your Son, Yeshua. Amen.